You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We have two readings in connection with our sermon this afternoon. The first reading is from the Old Testament to Ezekiel chapter 37, the verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as I, as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. Our second reading is from Romans chapter 10, the verses 5 through 21. Moses described in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between the Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? 
Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I asked, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Again, I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Our text this afternoon is the word of God as it's summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 25 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Since then, faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. Where does this faith come from? From the Holy Spirit, who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use, he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise, that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the new covenant? Two, holy baptism and the holy supper. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there was a cycle that was very familiar, became very familiar to myself as I worked alongside some youth in downtown Hamilton when I lived in Ontario. Downtown section of Hamilton, Ontario, in the neighbor, particular neighborhood, where I was working uh, with, alongside Streetlight Ministries. It's one of the poorest neighborhoods in Canada. And there was this thing that happened to almost every young girl that you would meet there. She would grow up in a situation of poverty, poverty of, of material riches, also poverty of relationships, not many good relationships in her life. But at a certain point, there would come into her life something that would change her. And you could see the change on these young women from day to day. It was a complete change because she would meet a young man. A young man who was full of emotion and had no shortage of ways of expressing his emotions to her. He was full of desires. He was also full of cocky self-confidence. And he would meet a girl, and he would make her head spin. And he would be so sure, at least he would communicate this to her, that she was the right one, and that she was the one that he would make her own, and he would live with her forever and fulfill all of her desires, take her out of poverty, give her a wonderful relationship, everything her heart 
desired. He would promise her the world, guarantee her that she's the one to him, and ensure her that all of his destructive habits and the signs of no discipline in his life and no direction have all changed for her benefit. And then he would guarantee all of his promises with a ring to seal his commitment to her. That's the first part of the cycle that you would see. The second part, however, was a lot more devastating. This young girl would be full of all these dreams and aspirations. And then, as quickly as all of these desires for this young girl were kindled in this young man, they would disappear completely, move to another girl, or just evaporate into the atmosphere. And that he would leave nothing behind except for a whole bunch of unfulfilled promises, heartbreak, disappointment, and disillusionment. How many promises have been broken in this world? How many promises aren't we given every day that are broken? If you buy this dress, if you buy this car, if you buy this necklace, if you purchase this house, you will be more happy, content, desirable, beautiful, whatever. We're promised you're young. You're healthy. You have the whole world. You have the whole, your whole life ahead of you. Do what you want. You are immortal. The result of living in a world where these sort of promises, huge results are given, is that we end up living in a world of broken promises and bitter results. Heartbreak, disappointment, and disillusionment. In this world of broken promises and bitter results, however, there is good news. It's the good news that I proclaim to you this afternoon. To this disillusioned and disappointed world, God, the God who created this world, has declared powerfully, repeatedly, and authoritatively the promise that stands above all promises and that will never break. The promise of the gospel. That God graciously grants forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. Because of the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is a glorious and a rich promise. It's a promise that kindles and sustains hope in a world full of broken promises. Jesus Christ promises us, gives us all the promises of the gospel. He is our great and beautiful bridegroom. But Jesus Christ is not not like, does not give us this promise like some smooth-talking, over-ambitious teen or like some smooth-talking salesman promising far more than he can deliver. No, we have Jesus Christ 
the king of kings, the one who has already accomplished this salvation that he promises, who through his word and through his spirit does not cease to declare and to extend and to remind and to reveal and to confirm and to secure for us all the promises contained in His glorious gospel. And Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher finisher of our faith, does not rest from sending us His Holy Spirit to create and to strengthen and to sustain the faith of His people in all of those great and glorious promises of the gospel. The theme for our sermon this afternoon is that faith, the faith that the Holy Spirit kindles in your heart, embraces the gospel, embraces the promises of the gospel. The promises of the gospel that are illumined by the Holy Spirit, that are proclaimed through the word, and that are declared and sealed through the sacraments. Faith embraces those promises of the gospel. All the promises that come to us through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So what is the gospel? The gospel, the good news, is the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, what he has done on this earth in dying for our sins dying for the atonement of our sins on the cross and rising up from the dead to guarantee our atonement and to give us new life and the assurance of eternal life. That is the gospel. What is the promise of the gospel? It is this, that he has done that for you. The promise of the gospel is nothing less than forgiveness of your sins and eternal life for you through what Jesus Christ has already done. Jesus Christ communicates this gospel message to us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, that third person of the Trinity, His work is to unite us to Jesus Christ and to all of his work on our behalf through faith. If this profound work of salvation that Jesus Christ had accomplished, if it only were to remain outside of us, it would still be a wonderful truth. It would not take away anything from the reality of what he has done, that he went to the cross as the son of God and the mediator of the covenant. And there he bore the sins of God's people. And if that remained outside of us, that would still be a wonderful truth. But brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ has no desire that this truth should remain apart from us, but he has every desire so that It will not be a distant fact for us, but it will be accomplished for us. He has accomplished his salvation to be applied to us. He has done this for you. 
to be applied to us, to be believed by us, and to transform the experience of our lives in every way imaginable. And this work of applying salvation and creating and sustaining faith in that salvation from the very beginning has been the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works that faith that unites us to Jesus Christ. The Spirit is the one who, even before we have an impulse of the saving work of Jesus Christ, before we have any knowledge of it, before we can make it our own, regenerates our hearts. It is from the very beginning His work. He makes our hearts alive to the gospel. He takes what's dead and makes it alive and makes it a receptive home for the gospel of of Jesus Christ to be applied for us. Jesus says in John 3, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water, and of the Spirit. You must be born again. And the Spirit is the one who re, who gives birth to Christians. The Bible is consistently clear that salvation is sovereignly administered by the Holy Spirit. And that stunning picture from Ezekiel chapter 37, where dry bones become living beings. How? When the Spirit, the breath, comes into them. It's only by the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit's work to sovereignly administer salvation. It's also consistently clear in the Bible that the means by which the Holy Spirit applies salvation to us is through the Word. The Holy Spirit always uses the Word to work this salvation. In 2 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul says this, For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God spoke and created in order to create the world. And God speaks and creates new life in our hearts in order to create children in order to create Christians in order to create people who will live forever through the work of Jesus Christ. And it was at creation, the spirit who was hovering over the waters you read in Genesis one. And it was the spirit hovering over the waters who worked with the word as God declared, let there be light and there was light and so on. In the creation account. And as in creation, so in recreation, it is the Spirit moving alongside the Word. In John 3, as Jesus speaks to Nicodemus about the necessity of the Spirit's work in regeneration, he does so at the same time urging Nicodemus to recognize and accept the testimony that Jesus is giving him. He's saying to Nicodemus, you can only be reborn by the Spirit. And as he says that, he is telling him to believe in the word that he is giving him. It's the spirit along with the word who works to regenerate, to bring life to hearts and to save them through the gospel. The Lord Jesus, when he was on earth, he carried out his ministry 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he proclaimed the word of God. The Spirit uses the word to create faith in our hearts. He uses the word to sustain faith in our hearts. He also uses the word to affirm and to strengthen faith. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Well, how does the Spirit do this? What testimony does he use? Well, he uses the testimony of the gospel. The testimony of the word of God. The testimony of what Jesus Christ has done in order to make you and to secure you in the position of God's child. The Holy Spirit, the author of life-giving faith, communicates the gospel of Jesus Christ to our hearts to create, strengthen, and affirm faith within the child of God. All that the gospel of Jesus Christ means for those who believe it, forgiveness of their sins, the reality of eternal life, it comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's the amazing thing. The Holy Spirit doesn't just simply communicate to us these truths. He doesn't just simply communicate the truth of the gospel to our hearts. He communicates them effectively. What does that mean? It means that he so brings the work of Jesus Christ near to the child of God and into their heart that they cannot remain unmoved by it. He so works it in their heart that he makes their heart alive. And he strengthens their heart. And he sustains their faith. They are truly enlivened, strengthened, and assured by it. Jesus Christ is the faithful bridegroom. He's the one who's powerful to secure his promises. And he does it through the Spirit, whom he gives himself as a guarantee and deposit of all his precious promises. So these promises are illumined by the Holy Spirit. These promises are also proclaimed through the Word. Now the work of the Holy Spirit is exciting, moving, inspiring, a little bit mysterious. What powerful things the Spirit does. And a lot of times we start to wonder, if only we knew how the Spirit does this. How does the Spirit move? Well, there is a lot that is mysterious about the Holy Spirit. And He will work in His way, in His time. The Lord Jesus says He's like the wind. But the Holy Spirit also communicates to us that the normal means that he uses to create, strengthen, and affirm faith is no secret at all. It's no mystery. He does it through the word of God. In fact, our experience of his working through the word looks and feels quite ordinary. Normal. Or if you think about it, maybe even preposterous. The means that the Holy Spirit uses to create faith is through the preaching of the word, the proclamation of the word, the proclamation of the word revealed to us. 
It always has been this way. In the Old Testament, it was with the speaking, teaching, and proclaiming of God's word that characterized that covenantal dialogue between God and his people that God used. God had called his people out of slavery to be his very own people, and then he sent to them priests and Levites and elders and most of all prophets to proclaim his word to the people. To call them to have faith in the promises that he had given to them. Again, Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel is a prophet. He's coming. And he's coming to the people of Israel who say, we feel like dry bones. We're dead. God's left us alone. We have no hope. And he says, no, you have hope. Believe in the promise of God that you have hope and that the spirit is powerful to make you alive. Just like he can bring life from dead bones. So he can make you alive. Ezekiel comes as a prophet, proclaiming the word of God, calling God's people to faith in God. So it was carried on throughout the Old Testament. And it is what the Lord Jesus himself did when he came to this earth in his earthly ministry. At the very beginning of his ministry, the inauguration, you might say, In Luke chapter 4, as he stood before the crowd in his hometown, he stated through the word of the prophet Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has appointed me to preach the good news. That's what Jesus Christ came to do. The Spirit came upon him so that he would preach the good news. And the proclamation of this good news and the work of the Holy Spirit didn't end when Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. He did ascend into heaven, but his work has continued. He continued to have the promises of the gospel proclaimed through the mouths of his servants in the early church. If you read, for example, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Apostles as they proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ, over and over again you read, the word of God spread, the word of God spread. The apostles and the evangelists proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and their message preached is received by faith. Sometimes it's only a few individuals who receive it. Sometimes it seems like everyone scoffs it off and sometimes thousands come to faith at one time. The work of the Holy Spirit is so profound as he has the message of the gospel proclaimed that the apostle Peter in 1 Peter 1 chapter uh, uh, verses 20 and following can speak to believers in Asia Minor and say that they have been born again through the word as it was preached to them. That they have come to life spiritually through the word Preach to them. The word of God gave birth, gives birth to Christians. All this is the work of the Holy Spirit. The preacher, simply the midwife. And so you can imagine, or you can see the the result, the consequence of this, that preaching is important. Preaching is the Spirit's chosen means of communicating the promises of the gospel to give and to build and to support your faith. 
through the preaching of the word, the word of God is not only presented and communicated, but through the preaching of the word, God works. God works effectively. Think about that. The obvious application is continue to hear the preaching of the word. But think about what that means. A sermon is not just something that opens a text and explains, for example, the judgment of God. The preaching does that, explains the judgment of God. But preaching is also something that God uses to judge our hearts. The preached word is not only something, not just something that speaks about the salvation that Jesus has accomplished. It is something that God uses to save people through the preaching of the word. You are called to faith. You are called to believe through the preaching. The Holy Spirit will work faith among you. The Holy Spirit uses preaching. In this way. Now, this is a vast perspective for a preacher. It's kind of a scary perspective. But we must realize that this is God's means for God to work through. The preacher doesn't accomplish salvation among his hearers. The hearer does not spur faith in their own hearts, but God works upon his people as the promises of the gospel are proclaimed to them. God is acting. Yes, God is acting, but we can actually take one more step on this seemingly preposterous road. God is not only acting through the preaching of his word, God is speaking through the preaching of his word. Preaching is powerful and authoritative because it is the authoritative voice of Jesus Christ that is heard through the preaching. As has been said, when the gospel is preached in the name of God, it is as if God himself were speaking in person. And that's the whole point of what we read together, what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. He says, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard how? Through the word of the preacher? No. Through the word of Christ. The message is heard as Christ has that message proclaimed. There is a church that I once preached at, that in the contact for arranging with preachers, they, they send you a bunch of instructions in our worship service. We do this and this and this. We would like you to do this and this and this. And then at the very end, it ends off with this line. And one more thing. Dear sir, we want to see Jesus. Dear sir, we want to see Jesus. Yes. And it's even stronger than that. Dear sir, we want to hear Jesus. Now that's strong language. That's powerful language. The risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ continues to carry out his ministry 
The ministry of the word and spirit. The very same ministry that he carried out while he was on this earth. Just like he once did from the earth. And just as he has healed the sick and raised the dead, so he continues today to do this work, to carry out this ministry. And he announces the victory, his victory over sin and death. And the Spirit continues to apply his work and to build faith in the hearts and the lives of those whom the Father has given to him. All that promises of the gospel proclaimed through the preaching of the word. And as if this were not enough, God has ordained a means by which we might have the promised forgiveness of sins and the life of the gospel communicated to us in a way that will further strengthen our faith. And we have all been witnesses of this this afternoon. He gives to us the sacraments, baptism and Lord's Supper. Now, these sacraments are not to be understood as separate entities that also do the same work that the Word of God accomplishes. Like, you can choose one, either have the Word, or you can have the sacraments, not at all. But they can only be understood properly and used effectively along with the Word. The the sacraments declare to our senses the Word of the Gospel. The word proclaimed and promised in the gospel regarding the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. By their use, the Holy Spirit seals to us the rich promises that the gospel reveals to us. It's how the sacraments work. As the water of baptism washes away dirt, so the blood of Christ forgives sins. As water cleanses the body, so the Spirit of Christ cleanses sin from our lives and renews us. As the bread of the Lord's Supper is broken for your eyes, before your eyes, so the body of Jesus Christ was broken for you. As the wine is poured out, so the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And so the focus of the sacraments, of course, is on the finished work of Jesus Christ. That work which is proclaimed to us through the word. But as that work is declared in the visible, physical administration of the sacrament, it's sealed upon us, upon the heart, by the Holy Spirit. Yes, it is the Spirit who must work. The sacraments are like a ring that secures and and seals the promises already spoken in God's word. But they are so much more than a ring, a ring, a wedding ring, a, a symbol of promises has no power in itself. The promises of the of baptism don't just remind you of the gospel or they don't just serve to as an add on to the gospel. They actually serve to build faith in the gospel. That's what the Holy Spirit uses them for. They're not just an add-on to the promises of Jesus Christ. They're not just a response to the already given promises. They are the Holy Spirit's means of effectively impressing the promises of the gospel upon the hearts of God's people. 
In a world of broken promises, the promise of the gospel stands alone as an absolute certainty. Jesus Christ has secured for you forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. This is the reality that is proclaimed through preaching. It has been proclaimed to you today. This is the reality that is displayed and sealed in the sacraments. It has been on display for you today. The Holy Spirit has given you this testimony of the great and powerful saving work of Jesus Christ. He has given it to you so that you will believe it. Believe the sure promise of the gospel. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.